and turn in your Bibles to Daniel chapter 7, verses 1 through 28. That is on page 944 of your pew Bible. As you turn there, in our continuing series on the book of Daniel, we come to a shift. Um, it, chapter 7 begins um, a lot of apocalyptic material here in the book of Daniel. And uh, we go out of order, we go back in time, so to speak, and the emphasis is more on uh, understanding what these visions mean. And so uh, hang on as we begin a a new section of the book of Daniel. We'll start Daniel chapter 7, verse 1. In the first year of Belshazzar, king of Babylon, Daniel saw a dream and visions of his head as he lay in his bed. Then he wrote down the dream and told the sum of the matter. Daniel declared, I saw in my vision by night, behold, the four winds of heaven were stirring up the great sea, and four great beasts came up out of the sea, different from one another. The first was like a lion and had eagle's wings. Then as I looked, its wings were plucked off, and it was lifted up from the ground and made to stand on two feet like a man. And the mind of a man was given to it, and behold, another beast, a second one, like a bear, It was raised up on one side. It had three ribs in its mouth between its teeth. And it was told, Arise, devour much flesh. After this I looked, and behold, another like a leopard with four wings of a bird on its back. And the beast had four heads, and dominion was given to it. After this I saw in the night visions, and behold, a fourth beast, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong. It had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were eyes like the eyes of a man, and a mouth speaking great things. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took took his seat. His clothing was white as wool, and the hair of his head was pure like wool. His throne was fiery flames, its wheels were burning fire. A stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were opened. I looked then because of the sound of the great words that the horn was speaking, and as I looked, the beast was killed and its body destroyed and given over to be burned with fire. As for the rest of the beasts, their dominion was taken away, but their lives were prolonged for a season for and a time. I saw in the night vision, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting kingdom, dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. As for me, Daniel, my spirit within me was anxious, and the visions of my head alarmed me. I approached one of those who stood there and asked the truth concerning all this, So he told me and made known to me the interpretation of the things. These four great beasts are four kings who shall arise out of the earth. 
But the saints of the Most High shall receive the kingdom and possess the kingdom forever and ever. Then I desired to know the truth about the fourth beast, which was different from all the rest, exceedingly terrifying with its teeth of iron and claws of bronze, and which devoured and broke in pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. And about the ten horns that were on its head, and the other horn that came up and before which three of them fell, the horn that had eyes and a mouth that spoke great things, and that seemed greater than its companions. As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them, until the Ancient of Days came, and judgment was given for the saints of the Most High. And the time came when the saints possessed the kingdom. Thus he said, As for the fourth beast, there shall be a fourth kingdom on earth, which shall be different from all the kingdoms, and it shall devour the whole earth and trample it down and break it into pieces. As for the ten horns, out of this kingdom ten kings shall arise, and another shall arise after them. He shall be different from the former ones, and shall put down three kings. He shall speak words against the Most High, and shall wear out the saints of the Most High, and shall think to change the times and the law, and they shall give they shall be given into his hand for a time, times and a half time. But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. Here is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my thoughts greatly alarmed me, and my color changed but I kept the matter in my heart. Father, we come to you and ask that you would give us wisdom and encouragement from your word this morning. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 28 ends with Daniel uh, saying these things, my thoughts greatly alarmed me and my color changed. Uh, Daniel was troubled, and Daniel was troubled by this vivid imagery that he saw of these terrifying beasts, for one thing, uh, very difficult to describe, but absolutely ferocious and, and bones in, in the teeth of the beasts. And um, I, I don't know about you, but I'm not a fan of horror movies, you know, the horror genre. Uh, this kind of reminds me a little bit of that. And, and the more realistic the blood and the gore, uh, the more disturbing it is. And so Daniel was disturbed in part uh, by uh, this horrific imagery of violence uh, before him. Uh, But we also find here some fantastic news as well, some amazing news that was far beyond what he could have imagined in terms of positive things that were going to happen. So what we find here today is meant... In finality, when the dust settles to be an encouragement to you and to me, to the believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's an encouragement for us to continue to hold on to him by faith, even as he has a hold of us. Now, think a little bit about Daniel, the background of this. Daniel, um, knowing the prophets, we learn of this in chapter 9, he knows that the exile is about to be completed. The time that the prophets prophesied is about to come to pass. And so he might legitimately expect that the Israelites are going to go back home. 
to Palestine, to Israel, and life is going to basically return to normal, whatever normal was. And he finds out that that is not going to be the case, that there instead is uh, one beast after another, after another, after another, signifying these kingdoms and this horrific upheaval that is going to happen where one kingdom overtakes another kingdom. And perhaps you're not too different from Daniel in terms of your present experience. You have a very difficult thing happen in your life, and you're just wondering, when am I going to get back to normal? And uh, the Bible says, very honestly, Jesus Christ himself said, in this world you will have tribulation. He says, I have overcome the world, but he doesn't sugarcoat your experience. He says, you will have tribulation. I'm reminded of an old television commercial, and it went basically like this. There was a man, a contractor, uh, standing in a kitchen where a woman was there in her home. And um, he was, I would guess, from New York, you know, had sort of a Bronx accent, and he was a uh, uh, not particularly attractive man, but he was nice enough. And he said something like, um, I have told you that it's going to take three months to do the renovation, but it's going to take six months. And in the process of doing the renovation, I'm going to accidentally knock a hole in the wall and your house is going to be in shambles that entire time, and there's going to be dust everywhere. But at the end, after six months is done and the renovation is over, you're going to be so thrilled that you're going to kiss me full on the mouth. And then the commercial ended with something like, don't you just wish everybody would tell you the truth? Well, God tells us the truth. And he tells us the truth here in the book of Daniel, and the truth is that the end is going to be absolutely glorious. But there will be difficulties as we approach the end, as we go through life. And so we have here these these four images of these four beasts. And the first image uh, stands for Babylon, the second image for uh, for Media Persia, the third image Greece, and the fourth image is Rome, or perhaps some final future kingdom uh, that is yet to have come into existence, or in my opinion, it's probably a little of both. There's probably a near uh, prophecy fulfillment, and then there's probably a fulfillment off into the future, uh, a final worldwide kingdom. Now, I want to stop right now and pause and take a little bit of time uh, to discuss the historicity of the Bible in general, and specifically the book of Daniel. And I want to do this mostly uh, for our students that are here today. Um, I I want to to talk to you pointedly uh, because you're liable to go off to college and hear that the Bible is not historically accurate and people will attempt to undermine your faith in the Bible. And I'll be glad to say at the outset that I'm biased And my bias is this, I believe the word of God is true, and the Bible says that every word is true, and so I come to it in faith, believing these things are true. Um, However, I also want to say this, there's much evidence for the accuracy of the Bible. Now, um, Exhibit A, uh, when somebody comes to the book of Daniel, is uh, the person of Darius. We talked about Darius last week in chapter 6, 
and the, the skeptical, non-believing scholars would say the Bible got it wrong. Uh, we have not discovered uh, in non-biblical literature somebody by the name of Darius who is from that exact time. Uh, there are actually, I've been able to ascertain three different Dariuses in other times, uh, but they say that the author of um, the book of Daniel must have gotten confused with some other Darius. They got it wrong. Now, um, what I would say to this is either in time we will find that Darius actually existed at this time or that information is lost uh, for all time. It happened about 2,500 years ago. Some things get lost. Now, why do I have confidence that we'll find it? Because time and time and time again, as the scholars say, uh, these things have not been found. Uh, you have no reason for believing in the accuracy of the Bible. We find that they're wrong and the Bible is correct. Um, so some of you are familiar with many, many years, uh, scholars said that King David never existed, the Davidic dynasty never existed, we don't find any extra biblical evidence for the dynasty of David, and yet in 1993, archaeologists found evidence of the dynasty of King David. So, okay, we were wrong, they said. Uh, just this week, um, we find that the, uh, a clay print was found with the seal uh, that apparently is from the prophet Isaiah. Isaiah lived approximately 2,700 years ago. Um, it was stated in the 1800s that uh, King Belshazzar that we had referred to today and we found in chapter 5 of the book of Daniel never existed. Uh, particularly German scholars said that the author of the book of Daniel obviously didn't know his Babylonian history because in extra-biblical archaeological findings, there was no mention of Belshazzar. Well, in 1854, the Nabonidus cylinder was found, and it corroborated that there was, in fact, a king by the name of Belshazzar at that time. And then in 1882, another document, the Nabonidus Chronicle, corroborated even more information about the book of Daniel, that there was somebody by the name of Belshazzar that would have been in the city of Babylon at the time that Daniel says he was there. So, students, when you have somebody tell you uh, the Bible is inaccurate, this is what I counsel you to say. Give me evidence for and against what the Bible says. What, are, what is the evidence for and against? And I think what you'll find is they will not give you the evidence for what the Bible says because either they have not been taught it or they're withholding the evidence purposely. When I worked as a college uh, uh, campus minister at Florida State, um, I would have students come to me after being in their intro to religion class and they would, I called it the contradiction of the month. Uh, they would come in with some supposed biblical contradiction. I remember one time, for instance, a student came in and they said, my professor said that the Apostle Paul didn't write this particular book of the Bible that the Bible says Paul wrote. And I said, interesting. I said, did your professor give you evidence for and against Paul's authorship? And, and the person said, no, only against Paul's authorship. I said, well, here's a book, and this book will give you evidence for and against Paul actually writing the book that the Bible attributes to Paul. 
They came back a week later and they said, oh, I get it. My professor is biased. And their bias is against believing in the truth of Scripture. One of the challenges uh, that um, unbelieving scholars have with the book of Daniel, and we'll get into this next week um, as we preach on the book of um, Daniel, is there's such specific reference to the various kingdoms, to Babylon, to Greece, uh, to Rome, uh, to Media Persia, that they say these things could not have happened until far after the events took place. Why? Not because of historical evidence, but because they say we know predictive prophecy can't be true. There can't be such a thing as predictive prophecy. Therefore, these events must have been written about after the prophecy was fulfilled. And so they're coming at it from a perspective of a lack of faith and a bias that says it can't be true. I was listening recently to an interview with um, somebody by the name of Sam Cooke. Uh, For those of you who know music, it's not the Sam Cooke that you may be aware of. On Studio 360, he was a, a man that grew up as a child in Kansas City. He was part of a church, and then when he uh, moved from town, uh, he, he began to read books that said the Bible is not literally true, and he walked away from his faith. Um, and he said this, he said, the one thing I miss about my faith and my church is the music I listened to as a kid. There was an emotion to it. You get chills. It's deeper than you. When I get down or introspective, I listen to Live by Faith by Chris Rice. I still get chills when I listen to it today because I don't believe, I don't pray to anybody. It's this idea that there's something out there that you can reach for and can help you and any problem you can ever have. And, and I don't have that. It still appeals to me when he sings, when he sings it, and I sing along in the car, which happens a lot. I, it appeals to a part of my emotion that I don't get in any other part of my life. So when I go back to this, it is just wanting to feel this wanting to taste of it, but not being all in. When you believe in something bigger than you and outside of you, the scope of you is there and you are so important. He is watching you and guiding you that everything is going to be fine because God's there and he loves you and that makes you happy. And I would say to Mr. Cook, I couldn't have said it better. You're absolutely right. But I want to also say to him, you can't have your cake and eat it too, right? If these things are not true, if they didn't happen, then there's no encouragement. You're living in a fantasy land. So the application for students that are going to go off to college and the application for us is that what we find here, um, even though... Non-believing scholars don't believe it's true. It's not just interesting stories about monsters and beasts, uh, interesting things written. There's much more to it. It's the word of God to you and to me to encourage us, to strengthen us, to fortify us. It is true and is written for your good. And part of it is fair warning. Part of it is to say, It is going to be difficult before the end comes. There's going to be violence and upheaval. 
Uh, we see this ferocious lion with, the, with eagle's wings in chapter 7, verse 4. Uh, most take that to be uh, Nebuchadnezzar, uh, who was humbled, having the wings torn off and, and becoming having the mind of a man. Harkens back to the humbling of Nebuchadnezzar that we already studied. The bear, chapter 7, verse 5, three ribs in its teeth, told to devour much flesh, is usually associated with the kingdom of Media Persia. The three ribs are associated with three specific kingdoms that the confederacy of Media Persia conquered. Um, and the interesting sort of image of one side of the bear being greater than the other side in history, first uh, the Medes were stronger in the confederacy and then the Persians became stronger in the confederacy and were dominant. And then we read of the leopard in chapter 7, verse 6. Swift in attack, four wings, four heads, and the leopard is most often associated with the Blitz, Blitzkrieg style of warfare that Alexander the Great uh, did. The four heads symbolizing the wide extent of his conquests in all directions. And then the final beast in, da beast in Daniel chapter 7, terrifying and dreadful and exceedingly strong, terrifying in power and violence. Uh, it had great iron teeth. It devoured and broke in broken pieces and stamped what was left with its feet. It was different from all the beasts that were before it, and it had ten horns. And the Bible horns symbolize power. And Daniel says, I considered the horns, and behold, there came up among them another horn, a little one, before which three of the first horns were plucked up by the roots. And behold, in this horn were the eyes of a man and a mouth speaking great things. Many have identified this little horn with the Antichrist mentioned in other parts of scripture. So Daniel is upset about this continued uh, violence that is predicted. Nation will war against nation. Blood will be shed. You know it's right for you to be upset about violence. We find that God is not happy with violence. If you read the book of Genesis uh, with, a, with an eye looking for it, you'll find that much of what is written in the book of Genesis is written uh, in the backdrop of God's displeasure with violence uh, that humans unleash against humanity. It started with Cain and Abel, where Cain killed Abel. Why did God destroy the earth in a flood? Why was Noah's ark necessary? Genesis chapter 6, verse 11. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with violence. And then Genesis 6, 13. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence. It's right to be disturbed by violence that takes place in our schools, even as we mourn uh, the shooting that took place in South Florida. It's right to be concerned about violence across the world in Syria and other places. And Daniel is upset about the violence in general, but he's also no doubt upset about the violence as it will impact the people of God. In Daniel chapter 7 verse 21, we read, As I looked, this horn made war with the saints and prevailed over them. And so the saints of God experience difficulty in being prevailed against by uh, this figure until 
the Ancient of Days and the Son of Man shows up. The good news is that all of these kingdoms are ineffectual kingdoms. All these kingdoms are temporary kingdoms. And Daniel sees the image of the Ancient of Days. He sees a courtroom scene, a throne room scene. And by the way, in Daniel chapter 7, Ancient of Days, uh, in reference there to God, is the only place in Scripture where the term Ancient of Days is used. He's ancient. He's before all times. He's solid. He's immovable. He's not beholding to any other kingdoms that come and go. He is sovereign over all. Daniel 7, 9. As I looked, thrones were placed, and the Ancient of Days took his seat. His clothing was white as snow, and the hair of his head like pure wool. His throne was fiery flames. Its wheels were burning fire. Fire in the Bible conveys wrath. Not being out of control anger, but a just response to the beasts, and in particular to this last beast. Daniel 7.10, a stream of fire issued and came out from before him. A thousand, thousand served him, and ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him. The court sat in judgment, and the books were open. The Ancient of Days, God the Father, is in control of all. And then verses 11 and 12, the fourth fourth beast is recorded as being destroyed with the other beasts, and their dominion was taken away and given to the Son of Man who will have an everlasting kingdom. And the Son of Man is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. Daniel chapter 7, verse 13, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a Son of Man. And he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. The designation Son of Man was Jesus Christ's own favorite designation for himself. I remember when I was younger... Uh, being taught in Sunday school that the term Son of Man referred to Jesus' humanity and the term Son of God referred to Jesus' divinity. Uh, The reality is both of those definitions are too simplistic. Son of God can actually be in reference to humanity and Son of Man can be in reference to deity. And we find, in fact, that when we look at the Uh, description given to us that there's a sense in which his humanity is presented, uh, that Daniel is seeing beast after beast after beast, and then he sees one who looks like a son of man, doesn't look like the beast with the iron jaws, uh, and he is approaching the ancient of days. We know the prophet Ezekiel, for instance, is called son of man. But we also know that in the New Testament, that the term son of man, when used of Jesus Christ, can refer to Jesus Christ and his deity as truly God. We see this actually at his trial uh, before the religious leaders of his day, just prior to his crucifixion, when in fact Jesus Christ makes reference to Daniel chapter 7. The high priest asked him again, Are you the Christ, the Son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? 
you have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. When Jesus Christ said, I am the son of man and I'm coming in the clouds of glory, they understood that Jesus Christ was saying, I am God and I'm going to come one day to judge. In the book of Revelation, we see this description of Jesus Christ. Revelation chapter 1 verse 12, then I turned to see the voice that was speaking to me And on turning, I saw seven golden lampstands, and in the midst of the lampstands, one like a son of man, clothed with a long robe and with a golden sash around his chest. And in his right hand, he held seven stars. From his mouth came a sharp, two-edged sword. The good news is the son of man is going to come, and he's going to make everything right. He's going to come and judge As we stated today in our Apostles' Creed, he's going to come to judge the living and the dead. He's going to judge uh, violent and all unrighteous activity, and he's going to make the world right. Matthew chapter 25, verses 31 and 32. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations, and he will separate people one from another, as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. Jesus Christ, when he said before his crucifixion as he was being tried, you will see the Son of Man coming, what he was saying to the high priest and others was, you're judging me now, but one day I will come and I will judge you. And they weren't pleased with his assertion that he was going to do that. Of Jesus Christ in Luke chapter 1 verses 32 and 33 we read, He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And so Daniel chapter 7 says there will be a fourth beast. And then there will be ten horns. And then another horn will rise out from that. And he shall speak words against the Most High and wear out the saints of the Most High. But then, in verse 26, we read, But the court shall sit in judgment, and his dominion shall be taken away to be consumed and destroyed to the end. And the kingdom and the dominion and the greatness of the kingdoms under the whole heaven shall be given to the people of the saints of the Most High. That means you. His kingdom shall be an everlasting kingdom, and all dominions shall serve and obey him. You see, Daniel might have been looking forward to a return from Babylon to Palestine, and that's wonderful. And Maybe you'd have a wonderful life for 60 or 70 or 80 or 90 years, or if you're like Billy Graham, 99 years. It's a wonderful thing. But what we find in the book of Daniel is something far superior to that. And that is the Son of Man will come, uh, the dead will be raised, those who are in Jesus Christ will rule and reign with him forever. That's the imagery. Book of Revelation, chapter 5, verse 9. And they sang a new song, saying, Worthy are you to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain, and by your blood you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation And you have made them a kingdom and priests to our God, and they shall reign 
on earth. Has Jesus Christ ransomed you? Has he purchased you with his blood? I want to be clear, none of us deserves to rule and reign with Jesus Christ. We only do so because our sins, our violence, our evil has been judged through Jesus Christ when he was on the cross. And so we have faith in him and we trust in what he's accomplished in the judgment that he took for us so that on judgment day, the judgment will not fall on us. And instead, as his people, we will rule and reign with him. And so this calls for waiting, waiting expectantly. The best is yet to come. Revelation 2.26, the one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. Revelation 3.21, the one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat, sat down with my father on his throne. Emperor Julian, who lived... A.D. 332 to A.D. 363, um, hated Christians. Uh, He was off at war one time with the Persians, and one of Julian's followers uh, spoke to a friend of his, a a Christian who lived in Antioch at the time, and uh, this uh, disciple, if you will, of Julian said to the Christian, so uh, my emperor is out uh, battling in Persia, what is uh, the son of the carpenter doing? And he said to him, the son of the carpenter is building a coffin for the emperor. And with three days, Julian was dead. The Nazi leadership at one point in World War II were at the top of their game. They were at the top of the world. Everything was going well. They were making headway. Uh, Blitzkrieg was... uh, devouring country after country after country. Uh, People lived in terror over their leadership. But then the war was over. Uh, The Nuremberg trials commenced. Fourteen of them were condemned to death. Uh, Thirteen of them were executed. Uh, Goering was able to commit suicide before that. And their bodies were cremated, uh, placed in a common container, And on October 14th, 1946, um, somebody took that container, went into the Bavarian countryside on a rainy day, and emptied uh, the contents into a ditch, a muddy ditch. Those who had been uh, the cause of so much fear, those who had been in dominion and power, came to nothing. Their dominion was a temporary dominion. And so we do not need to be dazzled by temporary greatness. 2 Timothy 2, 11 and 12 says, This saying is trustworthy. If we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. So keep your perspective. Keep your perspective. This might be a good time to pull out the old Chronicles of Narnia, where they talk about uh, believers reigning uh, with Aslan, with Christ. The old hymn says it well, through many dangers, toils, and snares we have already come. If I might take a little bit of poetic license. Uh, But one day we'll look back uh, when 10,000 years have gone 
bright shining as the sun with no less days to live and reign with Jesus Christ in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for telling us the truth. Uh, We thank you, Father, that you do not sugarcoat uh, the reality that at times life can be difficult, uh, that our present life can be difficult, that even before the coming of Jesus Christ, things can be difficult. But we also thank you for the the reality, the truth, uh, that you ransom people. You ransom people from the dominion of darkness and bring them into the kingdom of light. And so I pray that you would use this word, Father, to cause us to turn to you in faith, perhaps for the first time in Jesus Christ, even today, and those of us who know Jesus, who believe in Jesus, who love Jesus, that you would help us as we encounter the difficulties of this life, uh, as we are dismayed uh, at times by the violence in this life, uh, may we hold on to your son Jesus Christ and know what it means to receive that kingdom one day for ourselves. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.